Inshallah, yeah. You can't trust me with memory. I have the memory of a depressed little goldfish. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I love the I love the implication that goldfish have bad memories, yes, but sad goldfish, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And today we'll be reviewing the latest instance of clean old-fashioned hate, the Georgia Georgia Tech game that occurred this last weekend at historic Mark Richt Field at Bobby Dodd Stadium. We will be approaching this game both from a qualitative standpoint where we talk about our weeks and our weekends and the day that was and the memes that were made about us when we took a nap at Thanksgiving dinner. And from a quantitative standpoint, where we look at some of the stats that define this game and probably do what will be quite a bit of yelling about the refs. If people would like to get more involved, Yara, what can they do? Great question. So for as little as $1 a month, you too can join a burgeoning community of rabid college football fans at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. Get access to... Like I said, an awesome community where we talk about literally everything and anything, and you can have access to our unedited show feed and listen to us record live and a bunch of other fun sh- fun shit, like looking at our uh, notes, which today have really nice pictures of um, Photoshop Nathan and also my Thanksgiving like table set, which I don't know if y'all have ever been to a thanks like a Middle Eastern Thanksgiving dinner. But we make that shit slap. So come subscribe, patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. Let's get qualitative. How was your week, Nathan? It was good. I started the week out, and I guess we'll start our qualitative preview out with talking about going to NCTE. I went to the National Conference for the Teachers of English, which is why we didn't record last week more than once, because I was in Columbus, Ohio, city of not champions, and host of the loser of the game for the past three years running. Really fun town, really good food, actually, in Columbus. I I had a good time. I presented twice, and I was on a panel, uh, an expert panel about teaching English, and it was really cool. There were like 20,000 other teachers of English there from the elementary and pre-K level all the way up to the like grad school professorial level. And... Uh, you know, I got to see one of my uh, former students who is now an English teacher there, and we got to hang out with her, and it was a really good time. But probably the headliner for people who are not in English teaching was that Tom Hanks was the keynote speaker for the conference. So Tom Hanks and his dulcet tones hit me up for about 20 minutes. Yara, do you know who Tom Hanks is? He's the guy from Forrest Gump. Okay, we did talk about this. Did we talk about Tom Hanks on a previous episode? Recently, right? We talked about this at Ole Miss, maybe? Inshallah, yeah. You can't trust me with memory. I have the memory of a depressed little goldfish. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I love the I love the implication that goldfish have bad memories, yes, but sad goldfish, <laughs> even worse. <laughs> Tom Hanks, Woody himself, Forrest Gump, uh, or I, Joe Fox from... Uh, You've Got Mail, which is, I think, the best rom-com of all time. Uh, He spoke, and as befitting someone who has been nominated for an Oscar, and I believe won one maybe for Philadelphia Story, was that Denzel? It doesn't matter. 
As befitting someone of his acting caliber, he was a really engaging speaker, and he was giving a speech to a lot of women between the ages of like 25 and 55, which is like his demographic, I think. And so I have never seen a speaker at a large speaking event. I mean, he was talking to like thousands of people in like an arena sized kind of convention center. I've never seen a speaker so clearly have the entire audience like putty in his hands. They were laughing at every joke. They were standing up and cheering when he said things that were like powerful. It was it was a masterclass. Tom Hanks, so charismatic. I I I I yearn to be that level of charming. Anyway, after that, came home, went and had a good Thanksgiving. I made the mistake of taking a nap after Thanksgiving dinner. We all went out to my dad's backyard and we were around the fire pit. And I thought it would be fine to take a nap, but then my brother took a picture of my open mouth while I was napping, sitting upright, and photoshopped it onto a bunch of different things. But the ones that I put in was the the statue of the Piate, and then the Radiohead, the cover to Radiohead's album, The Bins, and then also to the post-death scene pose from Romeo plus Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. So yeah... It's great being me. I thought it was actually pretty funny. But anyway, the Friday before the game, just as like a, I guess we're just going to update each other on our lives here. The Friday before the game, I went to a Carrollton High School football game for the first time since I graduated, I think, or maybe the second time since I graduated. It was fun. We lost to Walton, but it was a good time. I, I had a weird moment where Walton had this offensive tackle that was just like massive. He was like so much better, bigger than anyone on the field. And at a 7A high school football game, that's actually saying something. And I looked it up and he was already committed to UGA. And I was like, ah, ha, ha, nice. Even though he's beating the team that I, my alma mater, that's fine. Um, And that, I guess, brings it up to Saturday. What happened in your Thanksgiving week since we've last talked? Catch me up, bestie. Um... All right, so I went back to D Vegas for Thanksgiving week, and it was fun. I missed my family. Um, I really didn't do much. That was, like, super, super interesting. I did get to hang out with my family's dogs, which was great. Obviously, like, hanging out with my family is a lot of fun. I'm the oldest of four, so it's always, like, super everything at my house, which is nice. But I fucking love my dogs, man. I got, my family got two dogs right before I left for college. Um, I think as a way to kind of replace the energy that I have in the house, which in my opinion, they needed three in order to do that. But their names are Ella and Luna. And they're like Chihuahua, Jack Russell Terrier, Shih Tzu, like all the tiny little loud dog mix, which is great. They're so much fun. I love them. So I hung out with them a lot. That is big you energy. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I got to walk them a lot and I got to like run with them and stuff, which was great. They were so pooped. And let's see, what else did I do? I got to drive around a lot, which I know that sounds very dull, but I don't have a car in Athens just because I live so close to campus that it's like a little stupid for me to own own a car here. And so it was really nice to be able to drive. I am a slut for driving and I'll say that unabashedly. Um... What did I do? Thanksgiving was a lot of fun. Like I said, you, like Thanksgiving at a Middle Eastern household is crazy because my younger sister, like I'm not a big, I love cooking, but I'm not like super into it. My younger sister runs that shit like the Navy. She's a junior in high school and she runs that shit. 
It's great. She woke me up at like the crack of dawn and I was like, whatever you need me to do, I'm here to support you and help you in any way that I can. Like, what can I do to make your life easier right now? And I just helped her the whole day. It was phenomenal. I have pictures on the notes, which you can access for $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash chapel book curve. Boom. And yeah, um, Black Friday, I didn't really go shopping. I did go to Carrollton with my dad just to hang out and because he was going to go to work. And I like going to his work because I think it's fun. So maybe we were in the same area at the same time. That would have been fun, Nathan. And I don't know. We just like hung out and he forgot his ID. So we couldn't actually go into work, which sucks. But we did go thrifting, which was nice. Um, Where at? Robinson Overstock? Robinson Salvage? I think Robinson so. Robinson Salvage. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. That's a good yes. That's a good place. It was so nice. And then I came back and that leads us to Saturday. So you go first. How was your Saturday? It was good. We came back Saturday morning. I actually watched most of the game on the drive over on Saturday morning which was an interesting way to consume it. And it made me happy because the the Ohio State-Michigan game, the game, was really good this year. But also, I really hate how much self-aggrandizement goes about it. And I don't know. It was it was nice to see it on a small screen. Like, what it, what it deserved, I felt. But it was a really good game. We got home, and then we hung out with friend of the podcast, Abigail, uh, who is a co-worker of my wife's and also a co-worker of me on the Redcoat staff. And we got to just sort of like, I don't know, relax and watch some good football, which was really nice. It's not something it's, it's a privilege that I don't often have in my job that gives me so many other privileges. But that is one that it takes away is the experience of just being a fan on Saturday. So that was really fun. I don't like watching the Georgia games from home. I maybe it's just because I'm working normally when I'm at a game. So it's like I, I can't be anxious before a game because I'm just like going, 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 walking around, you know, pushing things around, trying to get things organized, whatever. So on the day of, it's nice to be at the stadium, even though it is a lot of work. So I was, I was pretty, I was, I don't I had some emotions this game. I had some big feelings that I think are justified by what happened. I thought that, I mean, I'm still kind of stuck on the refing. I thought that it was bad. And I think that that's kind of objectively true. But I also think that for me personally, I have a little bit of a, I don't, I don't have an obsession for, with like justice the way that some people do, but I really am frustrated by incompetence. And I thought that was, there was just clear incompetence at play on the field. There's actually a really good tweet thread if you want to go on a hellscape and you look up college football nerds, CFB nerds, they have a really good thread about how over the last few seasons, if you look at the opponents of top ranked teams like Georgia, Ohio state, Texas, Michigan, Alabama, Oregon, that their opponents don't get any, like basically Georgia's opponents don't get called for holding. And that is kind of true throughout the throughout the entire top echelon of college football. And that frustrates me because I think it's just like someone being bad at their job. That's the thing that bothers me the most. I hate when people are bad at their job. And that was what was so frustrating about it. Also, just for the record, last year, did you know Jalen Carter only had a holding called against him twice? Like only twice did people acknowledge that he was being held. 
He was probably held on every play. There was an Alabama season a few years ago where they won the national title, where a team, where a referee never once called holding on one of their opponents unhinged. It's just like, it's, it's an unconscious bias and it's not a bias against any one team. It's a bias against the better team or whatever. I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I absolutely hate it. And it drives me up the wall. Highly recommend that thread. Go out there, look at it. Uh, but other than that, I mean, before we get into the details of the game, how was your Saturday? I think my Saturday was pretty good. I just like chilled out <clears throat> for most of the day. I had, um, let's see, towards the end of the evening ish, I watched, so I watched the game and that was fine. I really, is this a safe space? I did not know who to root for during the game because like, I feel like Ohio State could, like, does have the, the caliber to, I'm going to say the word, beat us. Um, whereas Michigan is kind of me and don't get me wrong, they're good, but like against us, you know, like it's not like a yeah. a flat out whooping. But also I do, I am a slut for justice, Nathan, and I think that you know, Michigan should have lost just because they cheated. And I don't think that that's fair. Um, I don't like cheaters. I, it like the one thing that fucking pisses me off more than anything else in this world is like liars specifically of the cheating kind, because when you cheat, you liar, you're, or when you cheat, you are depriving yourself of the truth. Does that make sense? And it just like, ugh, mm -hmm. it pisses me off. I don't, I don't like it. I wanted Ohio State to win just because I don't like it when cheaters win. Um, but I guess now we might face them, you know, sometime down the line if this weekend goes well. Um, and I'm excited to put them in their place. But yeah, did that. Tried to start a campfire in my backyard because my dad just built a shed with like a campfire right by it, which is cool. So I tried to light a campfire. Um, but the wood that I acquired, I think, was too fresh, so it wouldn't catch on fire. So I was like, fuck it. And then I went inside and just watched the Georgia game and screamed a lot. It was... In the interest of not mansplaining to you, I'm off... When we are not recording, I would love to talk you through how to build a campfire. That would be great, because I, I was not in fucking Girl Scouts. I was in... God, this is great. This is like some deep-rooted Yara lore. But are you familiar with Indian princesses? I am, yes. <laughs> Wait, really? Shut the fuck up. Oh my god, okay. So I was in Indian princesses with my dad, and I realize now that That's it was like... That's like the YMCA, right? Kind of. Pretty sure. It's, it's the niche. It's the niche one that's definitely, in hindsight, super racist. Like... I did not need to be doing all of that, but it's like a dad and daughter bonding thing. And we did a lot of camping, except it was more like mostly everybody just did glamping where they do it in the trailers. I did my camping shit because I am not a pussy. So we did all that, but I never knew how to start a fire. So please help. <laughs> I don't think it would be very good podcast audio, but I do have a lot of thoughts about how to start a fire <laughs> in a fire pit situation and also in a survival situation and in a camping situation. Excellent. Because I was in Boy Scouts. Oh my God, period. Okay. Yeah, Boy Scout. So just narrowing our focus down a little bit more into the qualitative aspect of the game, let's do a couple of news things and then we'll talk about our thoughts, like how we feel about the game. 
there's uh, one news thing that's going to lead us into a big game that we didn't talk about this week. So we'll get there in a second. So, so first, in terms of the Georgia Tech game, we have some Kirby Smart quotes. He was asked, asked after the game at his press conference if, what the status of Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers were and if they could have played if they needed to. And he said, they asked them, they asked them how close were they to really playing? He said, define close. If they could play, they would have played 100%. If they had played, they would have played. I don't think you measure it. It was a championship game. It was a state championship game. He, his premise here seems to be that, you know, they they could have they couldn't have played, which is why they didn't. Kind of refuting this narrative that like Georgia didn't think it needed Lad McConkey or Brock Bowers. I don't know if I believe that. I'm not sure. I I don't think Georgia didn't think that they needed Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers. I just think that they thought. We have a pretty good chance of winning without them, and we want them healthy for the SEC championship. But you're never going to hear the coach of a football team. In particular, you're never going to hear Kirby Smart talk about that. Next, uh, a little bit of a quote where Kirby gets, I would say, slight gives a slightly political answer about the refing issue. He said, I don't ever talk about officiating, but it's one of those where we have we go to a different conference and they have different standards. We evaluate every crew that we get, and their crew had more penalties than any SEC crew going into the game. We just thought it was going to be a more penalized game. I guess they call it closer, more holdings, more personal fouls. They just have more fouls in their games than we average in the SEC. I just so happen it just so happened that a lot of them went against us in opportune times, but it doesn't question officiating. I think those guys do a great job. So obviously a very political answer. He doesn't want to get fined. Also, I think Kirby is sort of like allergic to controversy. And there's some there's a sense in which like that could be a bad thing. But I think in this instance, a political answer is the right one just because you don't want it to become a story on the week of the SEC championship. But let's be honest. The officiating was bad. Georgia had several just bad calls against them. In particular, I thought that the illegal man downfield was pretty bad, but I think even worse than that was a couple of plays before when there was a quick pass, I believe, out to Oscar Delp on the left side in the red zone where they called a holding on a play where the ball came out in like two seconds. How it is possible that I I, I just don't I, – I cannot fathom how it is possible that you could call a holding call on a play that quick. There just wasn't time in the actual like flow of the game to call that holding call. It was I'm I'm still so angry about it. Anyway, as for non-UGA things around the league, we have what Yara is calling the iron flop. I like to it call was. it the, the So are you familiar with the prayer at Jordan Hare, Yara? No. Okay, so in 2013. Auburn won the national title and they won it with like two improbable ends to the game. One of them was against Alabama, which was the the kick six where the uh, Alabama kicked a late field goal and the guy yes. caught it and then ran it back for a touchdown. Okay. What gets less publicized is the prayer at Jordan Hare, which was when Al- Georgia was playing Auburn only two weeks before and Georgia had the game one. Auburn throws up a Hail Mary and it bounces off the hands of two Georgia defenders who should have intercepted it, but they both went for it. So it bounced off like all four of their hands combined and into the receiver's hands. And he ran it in for a touchdown Damn. and beat us and kept us out of the SEC championship, if I recall correctly, or maybe just kept us from having a better bowl, like right at the last minute on the last second of the game. So like Auburn has always been like preternaturally lucky. And so I think this was also like a prayer to Satan. And Jordan Hare, <laughs> or just a prayer to Jordan Hare. <laughs> okay. I don't know who Nick Saban prays to, but I mean, this this game, 
I don't know. What do you have to say about the Iron Bowl this weekend? So I was trying to build my campfire while I was watching the Iron Flop, and I don't like I could hear my screams echoing off of the back of my house and also my neighbor's houses. It was wild. I just I don't understand how people can get that unlucky and how Bama always gets that fucking lucky. I was I was talking to my dad this past week cuz he's not big into college football. Like that man that man is a healthcare professional. Um, and I was trying to explain to him how Auburn or Alabama can be behind at every possible opportunity until six minutes left in the third quarter precisely. And after that, they turn into a different beast entirely. And I really want to go over this in our SEC championship preview, but like, I swear to God, it's ex- it hits six minutes on the clock and Nick Saban just like releases that tide in him. He does not have a dog in him. He has that tide in him. And he just like, walk yeah, pow. And then they start winning and they start actually playing like the University of Alabama. I mean, having said all that, I think it's important to remember that Auburn had the game won. If Auburn had made a better defensive decision coming into that second and 31 or whatever and just rushed Jalen Milrow and gotten him down or if they had thrown it incomplete Auburn would have won the game they were one play away this isn't to talk shit about Auburn more just to cast aspersions on Alabama which we'll get more into that later on in the week when we will be recording our SEC champ preview so in terms of our experiences on the game before we get into stats do you have anything else about the actual Georgia Georgia Tech game that you want to talk about just feelings where your head's at. I feel like a lot of people are taking this game too seriously. You know, like, did we flop? Yes. But at the end of the day, does it matter that much? Is it that deep? We didn't have three of our most valuable, like, players in the game who will definitely be there this weekend, you know, inshallah, etc. Um, and it's Georgia fucking tech. Like, they... I just don't think that we need to be weighing on it that seriously because it's clear that, like, in my opinion, we, the minute that the refs started playing their bullshit, it was like, okay, like, whatever, we're still going to win at the end of the day, and there's no need to cast, you know, a spell of dispersion amongst everybody. I think we lost, what, nine-ish, I could be very wrong, uh, votes in our AP pool for number one. I think a lot of them went to Michigan. And that's, I guess, fair, because they played a decent game. But I don't think we needed to lose that many. I don't think it was that serious. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you can take away from a rivalry game when Tech is going to treat it like their Super Bowl, A. B, when you have bad refing. C, when you're calling an incredibly vanilla game offensively. And D, when ultimately, I don't really think Georgia was in threat of losing at any time. I think that all of the strut, the Durham and Strong, of which I was a part, I was as angry as anybody, you know, it's the difference between an 11-point win and a 16-point win. There was a point at which Samantha wasn't watching the game. She was in our bedroom with one of the cats. And I was like, I was going crazy. I was just like absolutely losing my mind. And then she like texts me. She's like, hey, are you okay? Like, what's going on? I'm sorry if you're sad. And then she like looked it up and she was like, hold on, we're not losing You know, I think there are some things that I'm a little worried about, some specific positions I'm worried about going forward, but I'm not, 
I don't know. I'm, I don't know that the things that I'm worried about are really any more than I was worried about them previously because of the performance of, of players before this game. So I don't really know that it adds that much. So in terms of stats, speaking of which, let's, uh, let's, let's flush this out a little bit. So I'm going to give you some stats defensively, offensively. Feel free to pause me, raise your hand or whatever, and correct me at any time. Or just if you have anything you want to say. Obviously, not a good day defending the run. There's no other way to say that. Georgia gave up a 52% success rate on the day. They gave up per rush. They gave up 0.26 EPA per rush, which is in the 86th percentile, which is very bad. On the other hand, pretty good against the pass. 0.02, our negative 0.02 EPA per drop back by Georgia Tech, which is 46th percentile. That's also pretty good. Right, only a 24% stop rate. We only stepped about a quarter of their uh a quarter of their drives outside of the red zone. But I really think that it all comes down to not doing well defending the run. I mean, okay, so Georgia Tech on the day, they ran the ball 40 times. They ran it 63% of the time of their offensive possessions. They converted all or they converted half of their successful power uh power runs. So, like if they had less than a yard to gain, they got it half of the time. They only had 12% of their runs on the day. Only five of 35 were stuffed runs, which is less than zero yards gained. And only eight of 35 were runs stopped, which is less than two yards gained. So we only had three runs that were between zero and two yards. Of their runs, 62% of them, 25 of the 40 times that Georgia Tech ran the ball, they ran it for more than four yards. That's bad. They had about 100 line yards on the day, They had about two opportunity yards per opportunity run, which means when they ran for more than four yards, they really ran for more like six. It's just not good. I don't know. There's not a lot else to say about it. Georgia held a 12% defensive run stuff rate, which is in the zeroth percentile, which is bad. You know, like when the stat sheet can't correctly format the percentile marker for what you were in, that's pretty bad. Georgia did some really good things situationally. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech only had nine successful plays when passing, uh, but they had 24 successful plays when running. They had 30 successful plays on standard downs and only three on passing downs, right? During the middle eight, Georgia sort of dominated the middle eight and did really well. Uh, but Tech managed to hold serve with one good long drive coming out of halftime. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, you win by 11 points. I don't know how much you can complain about. The only other defensive thing I do want to point out is that in terms of conversions of like opportunities into points, uh, Georgia had seven opportunities and scored 31 points for 4.43 points per opportunity. Tech had six and scored 23 points for 3.83 points per opportunity. What that means in layman's terms is that when Tech possessed the ball inside of Georgia's 40, on average, they were a little bit more likely, a touch more likely to get a touchdown than a field goal. They settled for field goals when they shouldn't have. Georgia Tech did. Maybe you know things that would have changed the game if they hadn't. But I don't know. Defensively, there's not a lot to say overall other than that it was pretty bad, especially against the run. I thought Raylan Wilson looked really good. He looked pretty good in run D as well. He was the better of the two freshman linebackers that were out there playing. CJ Allen, man. He just looks lost at times. I also thought that 
I don't know. There were just some times where the defensive line didn't really look engaged, right? The there were just times where Stackhouse and Zion Logue and and Michael Williams were getting moved off the ball a little bit. And like that's not great, right? They played, I think there was something I saw a stat from Graham Coffee the other the I guess earlier today that of those three guys, Michael Williams, Zion Logan, Azir Stackhouse, they had 60 combined run defense stops with only two stops among them. And when our defense alignment were making stops, they averaged like 3.5 yards depth of stop. That's not good. Um, I'm not sure if that's indicative of anything going forward, but that's where we are defensively. Any thoughts? I don't think it's necessarily negative, but it is like, it's not like a both eyebrows situation, but it is like a bombastic side eye situation. Does that make sense? Like, this is Georgia Tech, so obviously we're not gonna like what is it show our full hand of cards and all of that jazz but at the same time the fact that we didn't beat them by more might be a little bit like i i don't know i'm very conflicted on this because on one hand it's like yeah duh we're not gonna like do what we could do because what if we injure somebody really badly right before we face fucking Alabama inbred fucking cousins university. Yeah, I'm starting my hate train early. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, it's like, I think we could have afforded to play a little bit better um, and score more fucking points just to show that we have that dog in us. I don't know if any of them tracked, but yeah, God, I... I just can't wait until I'm I'm really hoping that this was just like a one-time occurrence um where we're not playing w- with our full hand of cards and we really show the fuck up this week which I'm going to talk I I'm I'm going to save it for the preview I will but I have like personal fucking beef with the University of Alabama I have I don't know I feel like your feelings towards Auburn are a little bit of what I feel and what, like, most people that I talk to that are also into college football and, like, around my age, how they feel about Alabama. I fear that Alabama is the new Auburn for this generation of college football fans. But also, I don't know. I'm just here. I just can't wait to talk about local 5'7 demon Nick Saban. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm, I agree. I think that's an apt compar- <laughs> comparison. When I was in college, you know, Auburn wasn't live, winning at the Alabama bat, uh, level that they were, you know, even comparatively back then. But Auburn did get really cocky off of two really good seasons. And so that is something similar that I've had to deal with. Or that's probably some of my hatred. As for the offense, statistically, you know, I don't know if there's anything else to say about how good a night Kendall Milton had. He's really good. 44% of the times that he ran the ball, it went for more than 50 or 15 yards. That's really good, dude. He seems to be really be playing his best ball of his career right now. He's behind his pads. He is running in a style that supports his strengths as a runner. In the past, he's been a little quick to stutter step or to try to shift on the line, but he's so big and strong that like, Really what he needs to do is pick a crease and then just like jam himself into it. And he's big enough and muscly enough that he can do that. You know, 
Carson Beck had a 73% adjusted completion percent on the night. It wasn't his best year, day of the year, and we were real vanilla all the way through offensively, especially offensively, even more than defensively. But I did think that Carson played really well for what he did. I thought that, you know, the interception was maybe a bad pass or it was maybe unlucky. It was definitely an uncalled personal or an uncalled uh, pass interference because the defender played through the guy and that should have been called. But don't even get me started about that. I thought that Dominic Lovett is really developing into a little, I don't know, second string depth weapon. I don't know if he's first string or second string, but he did a really good job of stepping up in the absence of Ladd McConkey. I continue to really think that Dylan Bell is just a really good football player. He is a guy who you don't really worry about what position he plays. He's just good at everything he tries to do so far. And it's just fun to see him out there. It gives me a little bit of somebody like not, not to this level, but Heinz Ward or Isaiah McKenzie also kind of has this role in, in the past, just like dudes who are talented enough that you just get them on the field and you figure it out after that. He has great hands. He runs with good vision. He's a really good route runner. He can pretty much do anything you want to from a skill position uh, standpoint. And, you know, for his size, he's a he's at the very least a willing blocker. I don't know if I would say he's a good blocker, but he he's willing to hit hard. So, yeah, that's offensively. At the end of the day, just a couple of notes that I have on the on the day that kind of mostly relate to offense. I would say that this offense and Carson Beck are so steady it's hard to imagine we're going to lose to a team, especially like Georgia Tech, because even when we were the throws of it and I was really worried and I was really pissed off, I still thought we were going to win because it felt to me like they just weren't going to get a stop against this offense on a night that was kind of an off night for this offense, sort of in terms of what it's been able to produce this year. They scored 31 points, and I just didn't think that even on a bad day that this defense was going to give up 30 points, right? And so ultimately, I kind of am starting to feel about the offense the way I did about the defense for this past couple of years where it's like, we have a shot in every game because we're probably just going to score 30, 40 points against pretty much anyone. Now, whether or not that's true next week against Alabama, again, just like you, not to spoil the preview, but I think that whether or not that UGA can just sort of comfortably score 30 points is going to do a go a long way to defining whether or not this team can win that game. Do you have any other thoughts, notes about the about the um, day that was? I do have a question for you. So I have been seeing on social media a lot about you know whether Carson Beck is going to declare for the draft at the end of this year. Um, you know he's probably going to be like a first round QB pick. And he's very good at what he does. But personally, I think he might, fingers crossed, come back next season. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about it. I think it's just depending on whether he wants to be like the third or fourth quarterback picked this year or whether or not he wants to be the first overall pick next year. I I have heard that he's staying home. You know, I, I'm... Or that he's staying with us. I don't know, but I have heard that. I'm not sure what that means, but, you know, this decision calculus is significantly different than it used to be because of NIL. 
it would pay him more money to go to the league at this point, probably, because he's probably going to be a first day pick. But it is not like he's missing out on some kind of on some life changing money by staying for an extra year because, you know, that they're going to hook him up correctly with an NIL. So I don't know. I would kind of lead towards if you hear that a player could be picked on the first day, you should assume that they're going. So I'm kind of assuming that he's leaving and that it's going to be a Dylan Rayola, Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandergriff situation next year. Having said all of that, I would be very excited if he stayed, and I would not also be surprised. I think that for quarterbacks, especially for quarterbacks who don't run, that the calculus is way different than it used to be in terms of trying to figure out what's the best decision of staying or going. Because if you can, not guarantee, but play a position that you are going to get injured probably at a lower rate than a skill position or a line position, and you play in a system that protects its quarterback, and you play with a very good offensive line, there is actually some money to be made in staying. So I would not be surprised either way, but I'm my default is to assume that he's going to leave, basically. Now, if he stays, if he stays, man, like, we'll, that, it's going to be a pretty intense season next year because I think if he stays, he has legitimate Heisman like potential, like he could win the Heisman if he came back, which is maybe another reason, depending on where his head's at for him to want to, to, for him to want to stay. Yeah. That's fair. All right. I think I'm right, ready to get us out of here. Yeah, I'm ready. Hey. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google play and pretty much anywhere else you subscribe to podcasts ever. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve. Who the fuck uses Facebook? I'm going to edit that. By email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. I I use email. I won't complain about that one. And on Twitter and Instagram. And literally, I shit you not, every single fucking social media platform in existence. Like Mastodon and Blue Sky. And the other one that I signed us up on. I think we're on Sproutable. We're just on every single one. If you like what you heard today, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us now. And if you want to support us monetarily, come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. We will catch you in the Classic City later this week for our preview episode. And then in the Classic City South, aka Atlanta, this weekend. And until then... Go dogs. Go dogs.